You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson, starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. It is the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. The Seahawks are 3-0 and heading into week four against Miami. They've got a quarterback who has won player of the week and player of the month honors in back-to-back days. There was also a day, however, where 25 guys were listed on the Seahawks injury report for practice. So, John Boyle, here's my opening question for you. What is your level of confidence compared to your level of concern going into this game at Miami? I mean, the confidence has to be really high, especially in this offense with everything they've done through three games, the way Russell Wilson's playing, as you said, player of the month. Uh, you know, concern-wise, that's a lot of names on the injury list. As I always tell people, let's wait till Friday before we worry too much. I would be willing to bet that a lot of those names on there now are not on the injury statuses Friday. There are some legitimate concerns. Among them, you're starting running back. You're all pro safety. So uh, they might not be full health going in the game. We'll have to wait and see what Pete Carroll tells us Friday and what the inactives tell us Sunday. But, yeah, definitely more confidence and concern with how well this team and this offense have looked through three games. When we talk about those injuries, and I just want to touch on this a very little bit before we move into what the Seahawks look like last week and how they match up against the Dolphins, what is your feeling about the overall depth? Because there was a point in time in training camp where you're thinking, man, there's just too many guys to get on the field, right? And it's the same point in time where we say, look, injuries are going to happen. We don't want them to happen, but chances are they're going to happen. Then you start looking at that secondary and realizing there's not a whole lot of guys left if you have anything that happens in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's once you start getting to the backups, it gets dangerous, especially when you've lost guys like Marquise Blair for the season, which elevated not just Ugo and Amadi into the nickel role, but took away your top backup safety as well. As we saw when Quandre Diggs got hurt, they immediately plugged Marquise Blair, or I'm sorry, Diggs got ejected. They plugged Blair into that safety role. So, You've lost a lot of depth in your secondary. I still like the overall depth of this team a lot, and that was something we talked about a lot in training camp of all these guys. And, I mean, look, you lost already Bruce Irvin. You might not have Jordan Brooks, it sounds like, but you still have Cody Barton was a guy who was great in training camp and kind of got lost in the shuffle because all the guys ahead of him. You bring Shaquem Griffin off the practice squad, he has a big impact. And you bring uh, Ryan Neal up from the practice squad, he makes a game-clinching interception. So, I like the depth they have in terms of the guys they can plug in right now with the injuries. Obviously, if you compound that with more injuries, then it starts to be a concern. Well, and it's also led to a lot of conversation about the big plays that have been given up in the passing game. Some of those yards were acquired or accumulated, excuse me, in the first couple of weeks when you were essentially at full strength. But of course, that comes into even more question and becomes even a bigger point of emphasis for Pete Carroll this week. We have to quit making the errors that, that come from the newness and the guys you know, not being out there together. And you know, It's been sloppy uh, at times, and, and uh, 
the, the communication has not been, you know, as effective as it needs to be. We're trying and we're working at it, and the principles are there and, and all that. But we, we've had a few breakdowns that you know we give a regular routine play uh, access to the end zone. You know, it's just this is wrong. Getting beat over the top is a different story. But when the plays come across the field and we're in zone and they make touchdowns, that's not supposed to ever happen. So uh, we just got to we have to be better. How much, John, do you attribute this to maybe all of those Zoom meetings kind of catching up with not just the Seahawks, but teams around the league? Because it's not like the Hawks are the only ones giving up these yards and having their offense score obscene amounts of points for the first few weeks. I mean, we did hear Pete Carroll talk about he he feels like defenses are behind this year, behind offenses. I don't know if that's necessarily the meeting, the Zoom meetings and that communication or just the lack of on-field work they had, the lack of preseason reps together, but it is. I mean, it's. You can tell. Pete Carroll's not the kind of guy who's gonna get mad and scream and all that. But you can sense when you hear him talk about. It, he's frustrated because, look, he's a defensive coach. He was. He coached secondaries. Was kind of hit how he made his name as a coach, and his number one thing is don't get beat over the top. Don't give up those big plays. You know, if if you've got a two score lead like the Seahawks have, and teams are dinking and dunking the ball down the field and giving up a lot of yards that way, he doesn't love it, but he can live with that. But when you give up those, you know, three play scoring drives, you give up three touchdowns of forty more yards, he he's not okay with that, and you know they need to get that fixed. Well, and I think he went so far in training camp as to say, look, that's not playing defense, right? He essentially said, if you're going to get beat over the top and you're going to give up those plays and then you want to come back and make a good play, that is not what we would consider playing defense. So you know that that's it. And I agree. And it is about not having that time together on the field. I guess I just assume that some of the communication among the vets would have taken care of that, right? Jamal Adams is new to the system, but he's seen so much football. I just assumed that it would look a little different. Quandre back there for the last game, who was, you know, kind of the guy calling all the shots back there for the secondary. I thought that that would help. And I guess I'm a little bit surprised that it's happening with players that know the system and that have been around football for so long like Trey Flowers, who seemed to be right there for so many of those plays and just couldn't get a break in some of those big moments. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit everything. Some of it is definitely breakdowns, communication, that that little crosser that turned into the long touchdown where you you know KJ was matched up on a receiver. Pete Carroll just said that was a mistake. That's not a situation that's supposed to happen, obviously, where KJ writes one-on-one with a very fast receiver. So things like that are more the communication breakdowns got you know assignments getting blown but sometimes there's also just guys getting beat and you know that happens sometimes but again with Pete Carroll you can't get beat over the top like we saw you know there's the play where the Cowboys are backed up and Shaquille Griffin gets beat you know it wasn't like a, the guy ran by him and he was open by 10 yards but it was just the guy got a step it was a good throw good catch and Shaquille couldn't quite make the play but they got to take those away because that's, again, that's as Pete Carroll says, you know, you're basically the defense. You're no good if you're giving those up. Well, and also it's a little easier to talk about it when you're three and oh, and the offense is scoring as many points as they're scoring credit Russell Wilson for that. As we mentioned, he is player of the week. He is player of the month. And now when you listen to the broadcast and Steve Rabel and Dave Wyman, essentially they just keep saying, Hey, Patrick Mahomes, you are Russell Wilson-like. Stop comparing to people to Mahomes. Start comparing him to Russell Wilson. Which numbers impress you most about what Russ has done, John? I mean, you start with the touchdowns. He's in uncharted territory right now. You just mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson has the most touchdowns through three games ever, passing Patrick Mahomes' MVP season. 
if he throws three more, which would be below his average so far this season, he would have the most through four games passing another MVP, Peyton Manning, in 2013. So I start there, and with that number, the touchdown percentage, I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's, you know, he's in, I think it's around 14%, which the the gap between first and second, and that's for people who don't follow stats that closely. Basically, every time he drops back to pass, 14% of his completions are touchdowns, or excuse me, attempts, even better. The next guy is 8-point-something percent, which is that same drop from first to second is the drop from second to 22nd on that list. So he's just light years ahead of everybody when it comes to throwing touchdowns. Well, and he's not throwing interceptions. He's thrown one all year. And one of the articles I was reading from the Miami point of view said, well, look, let's count one of these keys to the game as Russell Wilson's going to throw an interception because he's due for one. And I thought, have you looked at his numbers recently? Because <laughs> he threw five all of last year and seven the year before. I'm not sure you could ever say that Russell Wilson is due to throw an interception. No. It made me chuckle. Uh, yeah, that's some wishful thinking, I guess. But yeah, you can't. This isn't a guy who averages 20 interceptions a year with one and you're thinking okay he's due but a guy who in his career is averaging single digit interceptions per season yeah I would not say he's due I would not either here's something else that the Dolphins are certainly monitoring and it is the connection between Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett we'll give you the numbers in just a minute but how about what the coach sees on why that is such a good tandem Three years ago, I think they had a perfect rating, so how can you do any better than that? So it's just a matter of continuing to work together and, and find the openings and the spacing. And the magic really happens after the play breaks down. There's you know, the execution downfield on time, on rhythm, and that, that's one thing. But it's the other stuff that makes Tyler such an extraordinary player and separates him from anybody. You know, And, and uh, they're both such extraordinary natural athletes. They, they respond to situations similarly. And uh, Tyler can do anything, play anything, shoot the hoops. He can do anything. And Russ is the same way and all of that athleticism and natural sense and all that it just seems to work together and they they see things the same that was the coach and just a reminder that Cairo Radio and 710 ESPN Seattle are your home for the Seattle Seahawks and the Pete Carroll show here the Seahawks head coach on Cairo Radio blue Fridays at 8 15 and 12 15 and don't miss Pete Carroll on 710 ESPN Seattle at 9 30 the morning after every game we love it when he is talking about the touchdown connection between Russell and Tyler here are the numbers that I have John 259 yards for Tyler Lockett, 24 receptions, four TDs. And here's what I'm looking at for this week. Miami doesn't have a nickel that they feel comfortable with to take over that spot. Yeah, and there's going to be opportunity. We've we've seen it over and over again with Tyler Lockett that he's a guy that just can get open and make plays. And if you don't have that you know, elite slot type corner to try to take him away, he's going to beat you in the inside. And, and the beauty of Tyler Lockett is he can play everywhere. So if you do have that guy and you move Tyler Lockett outside, he might have opportunities there. Uh, you know, I think the excitement of DK Metcalf, which is totally understandable. The guy is awesome and he's catching long touchdowns every week. But I think that's kind of taken away from how good Tyler Lockett has been, not just this year, but really ever since, you know, he was always kind of the second guy to Doug Baldwin. And then, Doug Baldwin's last year, there's the injuries, and that was when Lockett really started to emerge And these last two years where he's been the number one guy. I mean, he's he's having some of the best seasons, really, of a Seahawks receiver of all time and just kind of quietly going about his business. And as Pete Carroll said, just the two of them, that connection they have after the play breaks down, it, it's so impressive. 
part of that is Russ's ability to throw the deep ball, right? And I think it was Shadi who said last week, it's the way he controls the trajectory of those passes, right? You got some guys that can lob it in there. You got some guys that are going to just zip it in there. And it does seem like Russ has a little more oomph or velo on his passes, but he really does throw the exact right deep ball at the right time. And I'm wondering, John, how much of this is Shoddy being able to see the game differently from upstairs? That I mean, I think that's been a big part of their overall offensive success. The, the deep ball in particular is something Russ has just always done so well. But when you talk about the, I think we're seeing more receivers getting just schemed open. Sometimes that's just a breakdown, but some, you got to give Shy some credit. I mean, Russell Wilson has been great, but he's also had some pretty easy throws because they've had some really cool play designs that are making things happen. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Shoddy's talked about how he likes it. Pete Carroll likes it. it. It seems like it was a really good move for this offense. And the the most concrete example we've seen is when Shoddy talked about week one, they noticed the rookie corner being aggressive, trying to take away some some shorter routes from DK Metcalf, and they kind of put that in their back pocket and remembered it. And then late in the game, he ran that the sluggo route and just burned the guy, got wide open for a huge game that kind of helped put the game on ice. So it's, you know, I think having him up there, he sees the field better, he sees the game better. And that a lot of that has to do with the trust between coordinator and quarterback that they have the good communication and they can be a part and not worry about you know, having that communication breakdown of being not being on the sideline. Yeah. And I do think and you can see all of the options available for the routes and what Russ has seen and you're calling different things. A, defenses have to prepare for a whole lot and it's hard to take everything away. And I think it also helps going into a week when you're not going to have Chris Carson, most likely. I mean, he was walking around okay considering what it looked like when the injury happened on the field Sunday against the Cowboys. But I also haven't felt from either myself or kind of people talking about the game that this is as big a concern as it would have been last year. For as much as the Seahawks want to run the ball, I do think it feels better knowing the offense has multiple ways to score. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I mean, this team, they still want to be able to run the ball. And again, it goes back to balance is not X number of carries a week. It's the ability to do both. And they still know they need to have that in their back pocket. But as you said, they've shown the ability to get a ton done in the throwing game. Um, You know, Chris Carson did practice Wednesday uh, limited, so I wouldn't rule him out just yet. But if he can't go or if they need to limit his touches, they do like what they've gotten out of Carlos Hyde. It might give us a chance to see DJ Dallas for the first time who had a great training camp. But to your initial point, yeah, if if you had to go out and throw more because the running game was limited without Chris Carson, I don't think any fans would worry too much about that scenario. And it's not just because they want to see Russ throw more. It's because the numbers say that he can. And I will point this out. The Seahawks have scored a touchdown on every single red zone opportunity that they have had this season. That's pretty impressive because last year we talked about missed opportunities and a lot of field goal attempts. The Dolphins, meanwhile, have scored touchdowns on 66% of their red zone opportunities. But still, Ryan Fitzpatrick, at 37 years old, looks like a world beater and got the attention of Pete this week. It's really something to watch him play right now. He is on it. 
This is as good as he's ever looked to me. And uh, he looks like he's playing on house money. You know, he's, he's just going for it in all phases, all aspects of his play. He's running well. He's challenging the line of scrimmage, We're trying to make first downs. His helmet got knocked off, you know, a bit ago. And, and uh, he got up laughing and smiling and all fired up, making great throws. His receivers are doing a fantastic job. Very gutsy, just true uh, veteran savvy working for him. And uh, it looks like, I don't know if this is what it's like on their end, but it looks like the, everything kind of uh, revolves around his, his play. Looks like he's playing with house money is a great description for Fitzpatrick. I mean, he... He, he's had a great career for a guy who, you know, was pretty unheralded coming out of college. And he's been all over the place. He's been a star. He's been a backup. But nobody kind of plays with the reckless abandon in terms of running, taking contact, taking some risks in the throwing game. And it leads to some crazy up and down games for him. He can look awesome one week and kind of a disaster other weeks. But he is a, he is a fun player to watch. You kind of wonder if the beard gives him strength to do that. You know what I mean? Like, he is clearly a rebel. It's a little like the Samson. Yeah. You know, like, that's where he draws his strength from. And he's played for seven different teams, right? Which, when you look at it, you talk about unheralded. Boy, it doesn't seem like he can stick anywhere. But I'm wondering, how much of an advantage does that give him this week in knowing that there is nothing a defense can throw at him that he hasn't already seen? He He's seen so many different schemes, excuse me, and so many different systems. What could you possibly do that he has not already seen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's been around the block. He knows this league well. He's probably seen about every defense you can throw at him. And what's been interesting to, to hear out of Miami is how much Brian Flores, their head coach, has talked about kind of what the leadership he's brought. And that's, I mean, that's a young rebuilding team that, you know, they drafted a rookie in the first round that maybe a lot of people, you think, oh, you use the number five pick on a quarterback, he's your starter. But Fitzpatrick has both played great and really helped bring along a young team in terms of leadership, really for both sides of the ball. And we'll have to see what the breakdown is, passes versus rushes. We know that Miami has leaned on Miles Gaskin, the former UW star, but for all of the yards that he has put up or the touches that he's gotten, he's still only averaging 3.9 yards a play. There's calls to see more of Matt Breida this week because they're just not getting those big plays. John, I don't think it's coming against a defense that's allowing 66 rushing yards a game. Yeah, and more importantly is the yards per carry because you look at what the Seahawks have done uh, or not done, I should say, stopping the pass. Teams aren't trying to run the ball a lot, both because they've had success throwing it on the Seahawks and they've been playing from behind a lot. But the average is, I mean, that's a more true stat, and the Seahawks are holding opponents well under four yards a carry after two straight years of 4.9 yards a carry. So, yeah, it's, you know, that is kind of the bright spot for this defense right now. Of They addressed a clear area of concern from the last two seasons and have so far done really well against it, against some good running teams. I mean, we saw what Cam Newton and the Patriots did week one running, didn't run it well. You know, we talked about Ezekiel Elliott at this time last week in the two big games he had and you know he was basically a non-factor so yeah if if Miami wants to run the ball the Seahawks would definitely welcome that I would also say the Seahawks have at least one or two more bright spots on defense number one Shaquem Griffin came in and played a heck of a game I loved him in that role of spy and just for he could unleash and and go full bore on Dak Prescott and I also really like the fact that Alton Robinson did not look overmatched and was able to hold his own in big moments in the game yeah, he had a good day. He uh, he played really hard. He wasn't hesitant at all. Um, he worked the edge well. Um, 
in the run game. Chase off the backside was good. His effort downfield, getting in on some hits. Uh, the, the big pressure that he had in the sack. Um, he did really, really well. Uh, we're really excited that, that, he's, uh, that he showed up in his first real opportunity. Yeah, and to me overall, one of the bright spots defensively, I mean, we've, we've talked about the passing defense, the numbers, but we've seen a number of guys who, you know, weren't starters to be in the year, were young, unheralded guys, really step up. And that hasn't so far resulted in great overall defensive play, but it gives you a lot of hope for the future of this team going forward that, you know, a guy like Alton Robinson who had a really strong camp immediately comes in and flashes in his first game. Ugo Amadi comes in for Marquise Blair and looks really good right away. LJ Collier was pretty much a non-factor as a rookie, takes over starting role, and has looked really good. So, again, the, the overall defensive performance needs to be better, but there's some young bright spots. And I would like to point out, as Bobby Wagner pointed out this week, most fans forget that early on he wasn't the starter and he had to split time, get a few reps, much like Jordan Brooks, much like some of these guys that you're talking about. And while we weren't talking about some of those overall numbers back then either, boy, we've certainly seen what those guys do in the franchise. I want to mention one thing before I get to what you need to see this week, John, and that is... The Seahawks are going to be dealing with an environment that they have yet to experience this season. Fans. Number one, fans. They're expecting about 25, no, I'm sorry, 13,000 fans in the stands, I believe, is 25% capacity for the Hard Rock Stadium. That's going to be crazy. It is also expected to be 85 degrees humid and possibly thunderstorming. So they're going to have heat, humidity, and fans to deal with for the first time, which I just think uh, it's interesting that that even becomes part of a storyline. Well, this week. Are they going to have sprinklers? Because the last time the Seahawks played in Miami, they had a little delay in the game with the sprinklers coming on. So, you know, that was something. I do recall that. Just, you know, add one more thing to see if they can overcome this week. Because I would have every, uh, I, I would, I would think they could, you yeah. know, thanks for some interesting highlights. Okay. As we wrap this up, two things you need to see from the Seahawks that would guarantee them a win on Sunday. I want to see two sacks from defensive linemen. It, we don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet there's a decent chance they give Jamal Adams the weekend off if he's still dealing with that groin injury. He's been your best pass rusher right now with all the blitzes. If you don't have that, somebody, whether it's Collier, who we talked about, Alton Robinson, Benson Mayoa, I want two of those guys to get sacks. Offensively, I just want to see them continue to do what they're doing in terms of the, throwing the ball successfully. And with that, I want to see no turnovers in the passing game, including fumbles, which we saw one, unfortunately. But they, you know, their ball security overall has been really good, but we've seen some very avoidable mistakes cost them possessions. One was the pick six that should have been caught, and then DK Metcalf's fumble. So just the easy to clean up. You know, occasionally teams are going to make a great play and get it from you, but they've given the ball away in two pretty easy ways so far this year. So let's, let's go turnover free in two sacks. And I'm going to go Seahawks DBs getting an interception. As Pete Carroll said, man, they have been so close so many times. And just to reinforce the fact that it has been a talking point and that this team can do it, I would like to see an interception by one of the DBs. And I would like to see the Seahawks continue scoring at not necessarily the rate. I don't need to see 37, 38 points, but I do want them to continue to take advantage of all those red zone opportunities, putting touchdowns on the board instead of field goals, and trusting that at some point in time, 
the second half is a little less stressful than it has been the last couple of weeks. How's and, that? And actually, I'm either going to add a third or replace one because we left out the most obvious. They need to cut down on the big pass plays. The, those explosives got to go away. They're, they've given up 33 through three games, so we're talking 11 a game. Let's cut that in half. We'll give them, we'll give them five and a half as the over-under. If they get to six, I'm not going to be thrilled. Well, how about you laying down the gauntlet? I was yep. just assuming that they're going to clean it up this week. And here's what else I'm assuming is that you would like to hear more Seahawks football. So make sure that you join us each Thursday from noon to two for the huddle hosted by Tom, Jake and Stacy, along with Seahawks color analyst, my broadcast partner, Dave Wyman. It is your chance to hear directly from Seahawks players as they prepare for Sunday and preview the game ahead with the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel and John Boyle, because who does not need more John Boyle in their lives? Plenty of people, but. Well, on that note, you're not hearing any more from John or from me today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.